Welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. And here's the queen herself, registered dietitian Heather Klug. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. I'm Heather Klug, registered dietitian with the Karen Yance Women's Cardiac Awareness Center. With me today is Bethany DeBrew Adams, our health communications coordinator. Hello, Bethany. Hello, Heather, on this beautiful, sunny, warm, April day. It is a beautiful day in Wisconsin. And it's not going to last, so we're enjoying it. I know. It's going <laughs> to drop like 20 degrees by tomorrow. Ugh. But anyway, on this beautiful day, how about we talk about Donate Life Month? Yes, which is perfect because their theme this year is all about the Garden of Life. Ooh, yes. Good tie-in with spring. So April is Donate Life Month. A movement started in 2003 to raise awareness about the importance of organ donation. Mm -hmm. It is a month to celebrate those who have received transplants, to recognize those who continue to wait, to honor donors and donor families, and to thank registered donors for giving hope. It is also a way to encourage people to register as organ and tissue donors. Yes. Very important. So today we are going to discuss what organ donation entails for donors and recipients, specifically heart donation, why some people may be hesitant to become an organ Mm -hmm. donor, and why it is such a beautiful thing to do for others. Yeah. And not that we're uniquely qualified to discuss this topic, but (laughs) we have had several heart transplant recipients that have come through the Karen Yant Center over the years who have become like, you know, extra family members of the Karen Yant Center. And we have had you know, kind of ringside seats to their journey a Mm. lot of times. Some of the folks we meet, you know, right before a transplant or right after a transplant. And some of the people we see from the very beginning, we have a gentleman who you knew from cardiac rehab way back in the day. And we kind of saw him go through the cardiac rehab portion, the getting the VAD portion, Mm -hmm. the now we're moving on to a transplant. Now we're getting the transplant. I mean, like we were kind of... Well, now he's post-transplant. Now he's post-transplant like three years, I want want to say two or three years something like that it wasn't always an easy road for him but Mm -hmm. he always come whenever he's at the hospital he pops by and lets us know how he's doing which is really cool to see yeah so we kind of get to see some of these folks and that's why we're so passionate about discussing organ donation especially heart donation right So let's kind of start at the beginning with uh, some statistics about organ donation. So more than 100,000 people are waiting for life-saving organ transplants in this country. So that's a lot. That's a good size, like, city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Hmm. As of April 1st of this year, 3,548 people are on the wait list for a heart donation. Wow. Yeah. Now contrast that with 91,092 people who are on the wait list for a kidney. Wow. Yeah. So those people who are waiting for kidneys make up 85% of all patients on the wait list for an organ. Mm. So the nice thing about kidneys is that you don't have to be deceased to be a donor. Yeah. So you can still live with a kidney. Yes. So 60% of people who are waiting for life-saving transplants are minorities, 
And that is why the Donate Life group and other uh, organ donation groups are really trying to get the word out there to minority communities because Mm -hmm. a lot of people sometimes fare better if someone has the racial ethnic background that these recipients have. So, okay. And finally, 7,000 people die each year. That's about 20 per day because the organs they need are not donated in time. Mm. So this is why we're having this discussion, right? So in 2020, more than 39,000 transplants brought renewed life to patients. And to keep in mind, one deceased donor can give organs to up to eight people. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you have your heart, you have your liver, your pancreas, and your intestines, and then you have two lungs and two kidneys. So Mm. if each of these goes to a different person, that adds up to eight people. Wow. Even I can do that math. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like that kind of math. And tissue donation can help even more people because a single tissue donor can help more than 75 people. Wow. Yeah. And the surgical need for donated tissue is just keeps going up and up and up. And so that includes everything from your skin to your corneas to muscles and tendons and bones and things like that. And the best part about all of this, you do not need to pass away to be an organ donor, okay? Mm-hmm. Obviously, some of your organs can only be transplanted into other folks after you've passed away. Right, That's right. just kind of how the human body but works. But there are two. But there are, yes. A kidney from a living donor offers patients an alternative to years of dialysis and time on the national transplant waiting list. And fun fact, the living donor's remaining kidney will actually increase in size, and then it'll take over doing the work of two functioning kidneys. I did not know that. I did not either. That is really cool. (laughs) Right? And then there's also living donation of the liver. So Mm -hmm. we've all, that's the part of our body we've heard you know, actually does regenerate. Right. So the remaining portion of the donor liver will regenerate and the liver will regain full function. And I think I read somewhere they only need like 10% of your liver. So it's a tiny portion. Yeah, your liver's pretty big. So 10% is pretty tiny. Yeah. So let's go next into facts about heart transplants. Right. Right, be more specific. About 2,000 heart transplants are performed every year in the United States. That's a lot. Yeah. Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center, where the Karen Yon Center is located, is consistently ranked as a high-performing hospital for cardiovascular care and is the top heart transplant center in the region. Shameless plug. That's cool. (laughs) Their history of heart transplant procedures began in 1968 when doctors at St. Luke's performed the first heart transplant in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And as of last fall, they are one of only 15 transplant centers to reach 1,000 heart transplants. That's crazy. Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center's heart transplant recipients have results that are better than the national averages also. So that's really nice. Yeah. That means that they are living longer with their new heart than people who receive a heart transplant elsewhere. So for all your heart transplant needs, come to Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Wasn't that first heart transplant that was done at Aurora St. Luke's? Mm -hmm. It was done on a female, was it not? Yes, it was. Yes, another fun fact. Yeah. So why do people actually receive heart transplants? Because not everybody who's got something going 
wrong with their heart is going to be a candidate for a transplant. Mm -hmm. So there's typically five reasons that all amount to your heart failing Mm -hmm. at some point. The first is called cardiomyopathy, and these are diseases of the heart muscle that may cause the heart muscle to become enlarged, thick, or rigid. So in rare instances, the diseased heart muscle is actually replaced with scar tissue. Not good. Not good, Mm -hmm. as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So as cardiomyopathy worsens, your heart becomes weaker and less able to pump blood throughout the body, and it becomes incapable of maintaining a normal electrical heart rhythm. Mm -hmm. And the result can be irregular heartbeats or heart failure. And then a weakened heart can cause other complications too, such as heart valve problems, which can also be a reason for needing a transplant. Right. Okay, other people who may receive heart transplants are people who have coronary artery disease. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this a lot. Yes. This comes up in so many of our (laughs) podcast episodes. But again, this is hardening of the arteries that can cause blockages. Right. And sometimes if you've had so many of them... I mean, they can't go in and do any more stents. They can't do bypass surgery. They may get to the point where they need to do a heart transplant to keep someone alive. A third type of person that may get a heart transplant is somebody who has congenital heart disease. And this is heart disease that people are born with. Right. Mm -hmm. So the fourth situation is valvular heart disease. And this can be a disease or dysfunction of your actual heart valves. And this will stem from one of two things. One is stenosis, which means the tissues become stiff and Mm -hmm. don't move as easily. Or insufficiency, and that's when your valves actually leak. And the final thing that can put you on the transplant list is actually a retransplant or a graft failure, which means your transplanted organ is failing you. Right. (laughs) So got to get you a new one. Right, right. So let's go next into how the decision for a transplant is even made. Right. It's not just how beautiful you are. (laughs) No. (laughs) You look like you need a new heart. Right. Heart transplants are performed when there's no other treatment available for an individual in heart failure. According to the American Heart Association, heart failure is a term used to describe a heart that cannot keep up with its workload and the body may not get the oxygen it needs. Right. And a person who may be a candidate for a heart transplant is evaluated and goes through a pretty strenuous, thorough process. Right. This includes quite a few things. So the first thing that gets looked at is a psychological and social evaluation. So this is going to have to do with looking at the person's stress level, Mm -hmm. maybe even how they manage stress, financial issues. And then this next one is pretty important, support from family and loved ones, because this can greatly affect outcomes. Right. And we've seen with so many of the transplant patients that come through our center, they've always got family with them, Mm -hmm. you know, and even if their family isn't there, they'll be telling us how important they are. You need help through this process. Yes. No one can go through it alone. (laughs) Right. The second thing they'll do, they'll run a ton of different blood tests on you. Probably no surprise there. Third thing, there are diagnostic tests. So these are used to assess a candidate's lungs as well as their overall health and can include things like 
x-rays, ultrasounds, CT scans, pulmonary function tests, and even dental exams, Mm. believe it or not. I believe it. And then women may also get a little extra stuff. Um, They get (laughs) gynecologists. Women get gynecological exams and mammograms in addition to all the other tests. Our favorite. Yeah. And then the last thing here, there's a few other things that might need to get done. So there's several vaccines that may be given to decrease the chance of developing infections. Right. You don't want to add insult to injury. Right. You know. So once you get all of these tests done, you're going to have a transplant team who reviews this evaluation. Mm -hmm. And these are the folks who are going to decide if you're a good candidate or not. So for a heart transplant, this team usually includes your transplant surgeon, a transplant cardiologist. It can include nurse practitioners or physician's assistants, one or more transplant nurses, your social worker who's on your case a psychiatrist or psychologist, and then it may also include people like a dietitian, like Heather, Mm -hmm. a chaplain, a hospital administrator, or an anesthesiologist. Right. So the next thing we're going to talk about has to do with how you actually get the heart from someone. Right. Because we talked about, you know, living donors. You can donate a liver or a kidney, but certainly with the heart, it's a little bit different, <laughs> right. right? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm sure people have some questions on that. A heart transplant requires a heart donation from an individual who's declared brain dead, usually by two or more doctors, and that person is on a ventilator. Right. And there, it should be pointed out, that there are specific qualities that determine brain death. Yeah. It's it's very it's it's not just a arbitrary decision. Right. Right. There's a lot that goes into that. Yes. And then when a heart becomes available, transplant candidates are matched based on three main factors. First one is medical urgency. Second is distance from the donor hospital. You need to be in a reasonable distance, right? Yes. Because time is of the essence here. And then third, pediatric status is involved with that as well. And then there can be other factors, certainly blood type, body size, and other medical information are key in the matching process for all organs. Right. I think they try to get somebody as close to what your physical makeup is as they possibly can. Sure, sure. So you mentioned time is of the essence. Transplants must occur within four to six hours after a donor heart is recovered And so patients are often ready at a moment's notice to go into surgery. I think a lot of them carry pagers. It's like, we call you, you got to get here, we get you in as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. So most heart transplants involve replacing the patient's heart with the heart from a deceased donor. But in certain situations, the patient's native heart is not removed. And the donor heart just kind of goes in alongside of it. Hmm. That's what's known as a heterotropic transplant. Interesting. So there's your little Hmm. trivia nugget for the day. (laughs) And there have also been a few transplants in the U.S. involving a living donor. I don't think this happens much. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So this may occur if one patient receives a heart-lung combination transplant, but their heart is still in good enough condition that it could work in someone else. Hmm. So they remove the recipient's heart, and then it is subsequently transplanted into a different recipient, and that is known as a domino transplant. Okay, very You'll never look at dominoes the same right, way again. Right, <laughs> And then following surgery, many recipients are on their feet, believe it or not, within a couple of days. 
and they're released from the hospital in 10 to 14 days. I think that is probably the most amazing, like, part of all of this. I mean, it it is amazing to think we can take a heart and put it in another person's body and it can go on and... But to me, like the fact that you're feeling good enough after a week and a half or two weeks to go home yeah, is just, it blows my mind. But that's what we hear from the heart transplant people we know, right? They're yeah. like, I feel so good. Well, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> I think if people don't understand what heart failure really feels like, we've had patients who their heart failed really quickly mm-hmm. and they told us they weren't even able to like get up out of bed and walk to the door of the bathroom. You know, imagine just that level of you're not getting enough oxygen to your body. So I'm sure once you're suddenly getting oxygenated, you feel pretty fabulous. Right, right. So here is an interesting statistic. 95% of Americans approve of organ donation, but only about 45% of Americans are registered donors. That Uh-oh. breaks down to about 165 million people. So we like the idea. We like the idea. <laughs> We're not just not always following through. Exactly. Okay. We've got some hesitancy about donating. And we'll explain later where you can go to register. Right, exactly. Right, if you haven't done so already. And interestingly enough, even though we have 165 million people who are registered donors, depending upon where you live... Mm-hmm. You might not have a lot near you. It kind of varies widely by state. Mm -hmm. Alaska actually has a lot of donors, but then some other areas do not, Huh? which is kind of crazy to think of. So why are people hesitant to become donors? I think we have some ideas, Yeah, but here are the ones that studies have found. There's been several studies that looked at why people choose not to be organ donors, either by not registering themselves or by electing not to donate the organs of their next of kin. And most of the studies have shown that mistrust in the medical field and a lack of understanding about brain death are the two biggest barriers. Right. Yeah, a 2002 study in Australia showed some participants indicated they wouldn't donate the organs of their next of kin if his or her heart were still beating, even if they were proclaimed brain dead. So here's where not understanding what that fully means. I'm sure they think, no, they'll eventually, their heart's still working. They're going to come back to life. I think we've all seen a lot of movies where that happens, and that's quite rare. Right. Studies have also shown that the less people trust medical professionals, the less likely they are to donate. Which makes sense. It does. One study in New York showed that next of kin who perceived a lower quality of care during a loved one's final days were less likely to consent to donations. Which I could see. Yeah, yeah. Many people subscribe to the misconception that the medical community treats registered donors differently than those who are not donors. Right. I think they have an idea like... Oh, you're, let's see, Heather came in and she's a donor. Well, we'll Well, just wait for her to. Well, we're just not going to work so hard on her. (laughs) We need those organs, so we'll just let her be. I mean, that's not how it goes. So in addition to those two main issues that people can have, there's a few other ones, starting with religion. Mm Mm-hmm. Many religions consider organ donation to be an act of love because, let's face it, it really is. Mm -hmm. And some religions, like Catholicism, have taken an official position in favor of organ donation. But 
Many people remain hesitant, which is likely due to their beliefs in the afterlife and the concern for maintaining body integrity. I know that with a lot of religions, there's certain rules about burial and when it can happen and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's understandable that people might be hesitant due to religious beliefs. Right. There are many people that are also uncomfortable and unwilling to talk about death. In a survey of 4,000 university students and their families in the U.S., some people indicated concern that making plans for death would bring it about prematurely. Like you jinxed it. Right. Knock on wood. I just took yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Also, now, have you ever heard of the ick factor? very technical term. I've heard it for other things, but not for <laughs> this, no. So in 2011, there was a study done in Scotland that found that non-donors reported higher levels of the ick factor than donors. And they define the ick factor as a basic disgust response to the idea of either organ procurement or transplantation. So these people were just turned off by sure. what goes into it. Yeah. Well, it does seem, you know... When you first look at it, it does seem strange. Like, yes. oh, you can take the heart from them and put it in me? Okay. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, people are just, how many of us turn our heads when on Grey's Anatomy, the blood starts to come Well, out? I do, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I like that it's called the ick factor, though, to be honest. <laughs> That's very highly, I wish all medical terms were kind of like term. that. Highly <laughs> technical All right. Also, the more matter-of-fact attitude people have when talking about death and normalizing the issue of organ donation, the more likely they are to sign up as donors. Which is why we're having this conversation today. Yeah. Normalizing. Right. We're pretty matter-of-fact. Like, it's okay, and it's actually a really kind of cool thing that you can help somebody else go on living. And let's put it this way. You're not using your body after you're dead. Somebody else might as well get you out of it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So there's still quite a few myths concerning organ donation that need to be debunked, and we're just here to debunk a few of them. Mm -hmm. The first one, organ donation process does not begin until every attempt has been made to save the patient's life. Mm -hmm. Nobody is leaving you there just because they want to take your organs. Right. Also, physicians must follow a formal process to recover organs. They are not waiting for a patient to die. I don't think we can say that enough. Yes, so they're not standing by your bed going, tick, 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 tick. Let's wait five more minutes. It's a Friday. Let's go. (laughs) Right? Representatives work with families to discuss organ donations, like a third-party representative. Mm, That's a good idea. Yeah, Mm -hmm. surgeons and physicians typically aren't even a part of those discussions. So the people who are going to be doing the transplant, doing the harvesting of organs, are not the people talking to you about whether or not your loved one wants yeah. to donate. Yeah. A patient must be declared legally dead, usually by multiple physicians, before a donation can proceed. Right. And again, with brain death, there is a lot of criteria that goes into it. And finally, deceased donors do not feel any pain during organ recovery. I think that one is a mm. big one for a lot of people. Yes. And again, understanding what brain death actually means. Mm-hmm. And in the cases where cardiac death can precede organ donation as well. These are important things to educate yourself on if you can Mm -hmm. so that you know a little bit more. Right. One of the most important things to note about being an organ and tissue donor is that people of all ages and medical histories should consider themselves 
potential donors. Yes. Anyone over the age of 18 can become a registered donor. Right. And if you're under the age of 18, you can also become a donor if your parent or legal guardian signs off on it. Right. Your medical condition at the time of death will determine what organs and tissues can be donated. Interestingly, only 3 in 1,000 people die in a way that allows for organ donation. I found that fascinating. Yeah, I did too. I didn't realize it was that small (laughs) or that low. Yeah. In most cases, people who are evaluated for organ donation have suffered fatal head injuries resulting from a car accident, stroke, or brain aneurysm. If you would like to be an organ donor, it's more than just marking your driver's license. Yeah. Be sure to register your choice to be a donor at registerme.org. And we'll put that in the show notes, right? You bet. This helps relieve some of the burden your family may feel if you pass away suddenly and unexpectedly and your family is asked if they want to make a donation. Heather, are you registered as an organ donor? I am. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how many years ago, but I always thought it was like, oh, I signed my driver's license, I'm good. And then the Donate Life people came through and had a table outside the Carry On (laughs) Center one year in April, right? And they were asking me if I went online, and I was like, no, I didn't even know I had to do that, but that makes total sense. (laughs) Right. Because I might not have my driver's license on me if something really bad happens. So yeah, after that, I went right away and I did that. Just to make sure. Cool. I am too. You are too? I am. Yep. I did it a few years ago. And again, like you, I didn't know that there was more to it than just getting the orange sticker on my driver's license. Right. But I went and I registered. So it's all. All right. Signed, sealed, delivered. Yep. Remember to go to registerme.org, everybody. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us today for this topic. We hope you learned a lot about organ donation. We hope we might have inspired you to donate yourself. Yes. Yes. So thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. And as we always say, be the ruler of your own heart. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Queen of Hearts podcast. Our podcast is recorded here at Beyonce Women's Cardiac Awareness Center inside Aurora St. Louis Medical Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more heart-healthy tips, recipes, and more, Visit our website at www.karenyantcenter.org. Like us on Facebook at Center and follow us on Reddit. If you like what you hear, so and be sure to tell. Until next time, be ruler of your own heart.